Believe it or not, what I'm sitting at right here is my family's table, and it has been our dining room slash kitchen table for the last 21 years. This table is my, where my family gathers daily to break bread. For 21 years at this table, we've shared stories, we have played games, we have shuffled cards at this table, we've carved pumpkins at this table, we have also colored Easter eggs and cut Christmas cookies here where we'd roll out the dough and put flour in and cut out the Christmas cookies and then color them with icing. At this table, we have colored a lot of pictures, drawn pictures with crayons and coloring books. I've got four kids. My wife and I and a big, uh, a lot of cousins have come around this table. At this table, we've served boatloads of cake and ice cream, prayed for healing at this table, shared a lot of scripture at this table. At this table, we've argued a lot, quarreled at this table, but we've laughed. Oh, we've laughed a lot, especially at Joseph. We've laughed. <laughs> we've encouraged one another. We've taught things. We've wept at this table, <coughs> paid bills at this table, sliced peppers at this table, peeled oranges at this table, buttered corn on the cob at this table, and chopped corn on the cob, of course, wrote papers at this table, entertained guests at this table, at this table, we sat quietly watching leaves fall from the trees outside the window. At this table, we hoped for the snow to melt. At this table, we could hear the rain pelt the windows when a storm came in. My dad sat at this table with me. My wife's mom sat at this table with us. Neighbor sat at this table. Stranger sat at this table. My dog snuck snacks from this table. When we had cats, they'd knock milk over on this table. But this is where life happened for my family. At this table for 21 years. This is a place where fellowship happens. Fellowship is a very interesting term. In the Greek... It's the word koinonia. Koinonia means to have in common or to share like with one another. But koinonia includes a lot more things than just eating food and just coloring pictures. Koinonia also includes three very important things of the heart that need to take place. I'd say this is a place of believing. Koinonia is where we get we get this whole idea of a worldview that we share and we're willing to come underneath. It's a way of seeing life together. It answers the question, how do I make sense out of the world? How do I hammer out what is true, what is beautiful, what is acceptable, and what is not? I shared, I'll never forget it, my oldest daughter, Ginger, was really asking me about the, how do I know God exists? And I took out 1 Corinthians 15, and I sat across the table going through 1 Corinthians 15 to help her know that God is real. 
I'll never forget it. At this table, I sat and I talked to my son Giovanni about why would God allow you to tear your hamstring and your ACL? What purpose is there in suffering? It's at this table where I talked to my wife and prayed with my wife about her mom's Parkinson's. You believe at a table of fellowship. Fellowship is also a place of belonging. I need to know I am a part of something bigger than me, a part of a group of people that care about me. And fellowship answers the question, who are my people? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? I am told, and I really believe this, the stories that are told at the table will last a whole lot longer than the lessons you learn at school, the degrees you get at college. These are the things that you carry on and tell future generations. I would also say fellowship is a place of becoming. It's a place of understanding myself and relationships and roles. That's really how we know who we are, by the people we love. They're the ones that give us, they give us the ability to say, wow, I'm valuable. I'm loved. My question is, at your table, do you have a table, first of all? And I'm not talking about around your TV. I'm talking to, do you have a table? And when, when you do share the table of fellowship, is it mostly quiet? Or are people in your house liked? Maybe the problem with our society is we've forgotten the importance of the table. I think people are set adrift in our world because no longer do we know what we are to believe. We don't know where we belong. We don't know who we are anymore. And I think a big part of it is because we've lost fellowship. Well, today we're going to talk about two more tables. And the title is A Tale of Two Tables. And we're going to find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 14 to 33. If you can open up there and stand. Today we're going to talk about these two tables because these two tables are also tables that teach us what to believe, where we belong, and who we are. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 10. Therefore, my beloved, so my beloved to Paul is my brothers and sisters in God, my family. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And we're going to pick up the rest in a minute. You may be seated, but this is a tale of two tables. Paul is very clear in this section why he's writing this section. Many in the Corinthian church, 
the best way to put it, were stuck in their old way of living. The culture around them was giving them identity. They were belonging to a past that Paul wanted them to forfeit, and he identified that past with a table and the new life with a table. And we're going to talk about those two tables. Well, the Christians at that time were still participating, some of them, not all of them, but they're still participating in the first table we're going to talk about, which is the pagan fertility feast. And the table I'm going to show you is, I use this for Corinthian column. Imagine this to be a table. But what they put on this table is an idol. And you're saying, well, that's just a block of wood. That's because they'd make an idol out of wood. They'd carve an idol, make it into a picture of a Greek god or a Greek goddess, put on a face, carve a nose and hands and a dress, and then they would cover it, hammer gold on the top of it, and then they would worship that. And they'd worship it by bringing food to the table, incense to sanctify the table, and then often they would engage in what I would call disgusting perverted practices before the table because it was fertility rites. They believed they were receiving blessing from the God, the God they just made. So this is the first table. This picture up here is an actual picture of a group that started in 2012 in Greece called the Promethea Festival Group. And what they do is they want to bring back all of the gods of Olympus and try to recapture the Greek culture of their ancestors that the Corinthians were engaging in. The groups, they say, want to reestablish the belief that the gods of Mount Olympus, like uh, Zeus and you know, Diana, the gods of Mount Olympus, are manifestations of what they call the true being. The true being is what possesses infinite knowledge and perfection. And so they'd carve these idols as embodiments of that true being. It was said that in that piece of wood, after it was sanctified, was the encasement of deity. So often people would come up and they said even if they put their hand on the table or on the idol, they were shaking hands with God. That's what they believed. And that's what they're still teaching today in this Promethean festival. One pagan worshiper, modern pagan worshiper, said, there's no right or wrong God to follow. You get to choose. It's the worshiper's choice. Sort of like the spirit of the age. You can believe or make truth as you wish it to be. And then participation, specifically with the fertility rites, is participation with the gods. So what does Paul say about this? Look at verse 14. He's very clear. He doesn't go into a deep theological treaty about it. He's going to talk about the power behind it in a minute. But he does say this, simply this. Flee. Run from it. Stop getting your identity and your belief system from it. Because it's false. And we'll see why it's false in a minute. Have nothing to do with it. And the reason why is he's going to say, look at verse 15. The reason why, when you consider this table with this table, there is no comparison. There's no comparison. Sort of like I tell people, people say the Bible and other scriptures like the Quran. Have you ever studied the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita and Confucius? Read them. There's no comparison. 
In the same way, there's no comparison between this table and this table, the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 15. He says, um, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourself what I say. So he's saying, I want you to just use your mind and be sensible. Tell me, how in the world do these tables even compare? So what he's going to do, he's going to take his time to walk us through the elements on this table and what they mean and what's going on. So if you notice, he's going to bring up three things that take place. And the first thing is, he's talking about this is a table of koinonia. In verse 16, he uses the word participation. That's koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, sharing or having in common. He uses it twice in 16, and he uses it once in 18. The participants in the altar, the idea of those who share, and in verse 20, he's using koinonia again. So what this is, is this is the table of real fellowship, where real fellowship happens. And the first thing is true. This is the table where we worship God, where we learn to believe in a God that exists. And it begins, if you notice in verse 16, with the cup. Here's what he says in verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, or the cup of thanksgiving that we give thanks back to God for. Is it not participation or fellowship in the blood of Christ? So, one commentator says, Paul starts with the cup because it is a sign of vertical worship. Vertical relationship. I have fellowship with God, and he says, Paul starts with the cup because it represents my relationship, my unique relationship as a believer with the Lord through the atonement, through the death of Christ, I have access to the Father. Through the blood of Christ, I am His, and He's mine. So the blood is a promise of a new relationship with God by faith. That's what this represents. That's what the cup represents. That's why in verse 18, he says, comparing this table with what happened in the Old Testament. The people of Israel participated with what happened at the altar. In other words, the people of Israel are God's people. Now we are God's people through the death of Christ. We are his covenant people. We have relationship. And so what we're supposed to do then is with the cup, we are to give blessing. So the belief is this, is that God is the host of this meal he invited me. He's the giver of the meal. And I thank him for it. He blesses me with every good gift and I bless him back. And so it's a belief system of saying all the world is God's. And he, he has invited me. He's the host. In the same way that this is my dining room table and my children would come to the dining room table and I want to bless them with God has given me, God is blessing me through the Lord's Supper, with everything he's given. It's very interesting, during the Last Supper, Jesus told the disciples to go to the room that I have prepared for the Last Supper. He was the host of the Last Supper. If you remember the last chapter in John, when the disciples are out fishing and Jesus comes back in a resurrected body, he invites them to the beach where he already has a meal of fish on the hot coals because he's the host of the meal. The belief, the truth is, God 
has given us every good thing, and we are to give thanks. Secondly, the table is a place of belonging, or where we fight solidarity. Solidarity means we are united. We are bonded together. You and I are brothers and sisters through Christ. And so what he uses is he uses bread. Look at verse 16b and 17. The bread that we break, is it not participation or koinonia with the body of Christ? So we have fellowship with Christ's body. Who is Christ's body? Verse 17, because there's one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So what he's saying is he's saying this is a horizontal relationship. Whereas this is vertical, we have fellowship with the Father, we now have fellowship with one another through Christ's body. And he broke it for us. And we participate in it by eating together. Because we have fellowship. There's some question about the eating of the body. Some people have interpreted partaking, the word partaking, as eating the actual body of Christ. As if I'm ingesting Jesus because I ate the bread. This is not what it means. What Paul is more than likely referencing, especially in verse 18, is, is in the way that the Old Testament saints would bring offerings to the temple. It's called a fellowship offering. They would bring the sacrifice. They'd give some of the sacrifice to the priest, and then them as a family would sit around the tables of the temple and eat. They were having fellowship. In the same way, this is our fellowship offering. It's around the table. To give, God, to give God honor and to be one with one another. It's interesting, Gordon Fee writes, no Jewish believer in the Old Testament ever in their right mind thought that when they were sharing a sacrifice, they were actually eating God. They weren't thinking that. What they were thinking is that God has blessed us. Let's share. So in other words, you could say it like this. The table says we belong to one another. There is to be a bond of love between us. And this love, this love is illustrated in the breaking of the body of Christ. No man has ever loved so much that he would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life for us, broke his body for us. Won't you do that for your brother or sister who's part of your family? Sacrifice for them? That's the point. That's what love is. We're going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians 13. So finally, Paul is going to say, not only do we understand who we are, not only do we belong to a family, but we are going to find our identity at this table. This is where we learn about who we are. That's what 19 through 22 is about. Listen again, he says, what do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? And he's saying, Am I implying that this is something? No, this is wood. It's nothing. And then he goes on to say that food offered to these idols is anything or an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and are not God. And what we're going to talk about in a second is what the power behind this are false, are fallen angels, are, are lying to pagan believers thinking they're actually following a God and they're not. 
Then he says this, No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice do, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants, so stop participating in this table in the way the culture lives in defined belief, belonging, and identity. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? That verse right there, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy, comes straight out of Deuteronomy. And it's used in about four or five other places in the Old Testament. So what he's saying by this is he's saying a number of things. That he's saying in the same way that the Old Testament, the Israelites would follow false gods, when you follow the culture around you, you're doing the same kind of duplicitous unfaithfulness to God. Remember Hosea? The book of Hosea is written in Israel because they, she left her husband and it was a type of Israel leaving God to follow these other idols. So in their duplicity, they're being disloyal, unfaithfulness. So if you try to participate in both tables, you're being unfaithful to this table. So you can say it like this. Jesus says, we cannot serve two masters. Why? We are bought with a price. We are bought with a price. And we become what we worship. Look at Psalm 115. This is really interesting. Psalm 115. Psalm 115, starting in verse 1. He says, not to us, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So in a sense, you know, when we raise the cup, it acknowledges God is in heaven. God does everything he pleases. He's, he's the giver of the gift. But their idols... Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands, because they cut the wood to make an idol. They have mouths, but they do not speak, eyes, but do not see, they have ears, but do not hear, noses, but they do not smell, they have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. They don't make a sound with their throat. Why? Because they're wood. That's why. And then he says something very interesting in verse 8. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And the idea is that what you worship, you become like. So if you have a choice, you can become like the God of this table or something false like this table. When I say false, here's the reason why. You'll go back to 1 Corinthians 10, and he says, idolatry is fellowship with demons. Idolatry is fellowship with demons. Here's what idolatry is. According to Romans chapter 1, and you can look at it, verse 18 through 32, idolatry is an exchange. I'm exchanging this, actually this, I'm giving up this for this. It's an exchange. Idolatry is an exchange of three things. And it's an exchange of truth. God is true. He's the, he's the one that made the wine and the juice and the grapes to make it. 
He's the one that has given us crops to make bread. He's the truth for lies, for things that we created. That's all demons are, are liars. The fallen angels, they want to deceive you from this. So the belief completely changes. It's a change of body life for being part of a family to alienation, because really what was taking place at these temples? Rotten things. And it was an exchange of, I'm a child of the living God for a slave to sin. It's an exchange. I was thinking about what are the modern day idols we have? I think there's a couple. I think the bar life, the bar scene, is an exchange of fellowship of this kind of lies. Like if you find your friends at a bar, stop buying drinks. You'll see how long they're your friends. Honestly. And who are you at a bar? You probably don't know because you're too intoxicated trying to pick somebody up. Wow. That's really a, that's really a place to belong. I think another one is our television sets, and Mark Rawson put it like, you mean our handheld ones? We are finding our identity, our belonging in stupid videos these days. So you want to exchange this for this? That's the point. So Paul basically ends uh, 33 through 31 kind of saying this. I'll just read it. And he's, he's, he's kind of summing up the whole point of fellowship. And he's saying all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Build up who? My family. Those who I, I belong to. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God has given everything for thanksgiving. One of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go and they don't tell you what this, where this dinner came from. Say and eat. But if someone says this is from offered in sacrifice, says, then don't eat it because you don't want to give the wrong impression. That's the point. Verse 29, I do not mean your conscience but his, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So I should partake with thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, the host of the meal. He gave it all to us. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do not seek my own advantage, but that many that they may be seized. So I do everything for the good of others.